Are you ready for Christmas? <laughs> I'm I'm really ready for Christmas. I'm not I'm not ready for Christmas at all. Actually, I've got about a million things to do, but I am so ready for Christmas. I'm ready for Christmas in this way. Um, some of you have read the the stories, the uh, the Chronicle of Narnia stories by C.S. Lewis. Uh, in, in the first one of those those books, um, the the children escape into this fantastical world called Narnia, where the problem that that exists in Narnia at that time is that uh, an, an evil witch, the White Witch, has has cast a spell on Narnia, making it always winter and never Christmas. Always winter and never Christmas. I'm ready for Christmas the way that the people in Narnia were ready for Christmas. Because it has felt like winter for a long time. I mean, we're actually in winter right now, um, and that's always something to pay attention to. I was talking to somebody the other day how this seems to be a colder winter than most. It seems like we don't usually get such a succession of, of zero or near zero days, but, but we've gotten them. But I don't mean just cold winter. I mean winter. You know, it's been, it's been a very hard two years. You know, some of us have had personal tragedies. I know I'm not alone in that area. We just heard about Caroline's brother. Um, people have had loss. You know, they, we've been hearing for two years about excess deaths. Excess deaths. Those are, those are, you know, they, they have, they have ideas of how many people normally die of different circumstances over a period of time. And those are expected deaths. You know, and then we, on top of the expected deaths, as if they were easy, we've had Unexpected deaths. We've had the excess deaths. So, so we've had all kinds of, you know, individual people have had all kinds of tragedies. But beyond that, we've had, we've had the, the societal problems. We've had, you know, all of the, all of the difficulties. You know, you, you've heard the news all during the fall about inflation and supply chain difficulties, about unemployment, which hopefully seems to be maybe ticking up or ticking down. Employment seems to be ticking up a little bit. Um, so, so maybe things are getting a little bit better in that area, but there's just so many areas where we can say, man, it just feels like winter. Where's Christmas? You know, a lot of the things that we face, we might be able to deal with them, right? You know, they're, you know, they're not necessarily unsolvable problems. You know, death is, but a lot of the other problems, maybe we could fix that, but only if we work together. And that's, that's part of our problem is that we are so polarized. We're, we're more polarized right now as a society. There are more divisions within our society than at any time in my memory and according to some, some, uh, uh, commenters, uh, any time in the last hundred years. How can we work together when we're so polarized? And I don't mean just, you know, the, the red-blue partisan politics, but, but the way that that spills over or maybe is influenced by other polarization. I mean, this year we've had, we've had people get into fights over vaccinations and, and over, over, um, school board issues. These are not places where we used to be as divided as we are now. We're so divided. It feels like it's always going to be winter. So I'm ready for Christmas. Christmas is the answer to the winter that goes on forever. Christmas is God's answer. It is the promise that God has made that he will intervene. Not because he did this, not because he made us such a messy place with so, you know, so so filled with problems and and division. But simply because he can do something about it. 
It's not his responsibility, but he has chosen. I will intervene in the midst of these troubles that people have. God has promised to do something about it. And what he promised in specific was to send a, a, a king. God said he would send a king who would establish a kingdom here on earth, a kingdom of justice and mercy and peace. And that's what Christmas is about. We have been looking over the last several weeks about uh, the gifts that God has has given, and the king is the final gift in that series. And so just to, to recap, if you weren't here, you can catch up online. But, but we talked about the gift of hope, that hope is a good thing. Hope is not, um, uh, uh, it's, not it's not an escape from, from our terrible circumstances. We actually have to believe that it can be better in order for us ever to work for something better. Hope is the remedy for despair. And that uh, what connects us with our hope, because hope is in the future, the thing that connects us with our hope is faith. And when we act in faith, in the confidence that things can be better, that actually leads us to joy. And then last week we talked about grace and truth. We talked about grace and truth. And the idea we talked about last week is that Jesus... Um, is, is the truth about God. And Jesus shows us, Jesus unwraps the present that is the delightfulness of God. That when we might be afraid of God or think that God hates us, uh, Jesus unwraps the truth. Jesus reveals the truth about God, which is that God loves us. So we've looked at all of these things this week, and now we're going to look at the gift that God promised to send, the king who would establish this kingdom. Christmas is the birth of a king, if you're following along in the outline. Christmas is the birth of a king. And Christians believe that that king came, that that Christmas is in fact his birth, and that his kingdom has already been inaugurated here on earth. So we believe that that Christ came and has established his kingdom. But there's a problem. And it's actually the same problem that that uh, the other kings we hear about in our Christmas stories. You know, if you if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we heard the story about King Herod. Um, uh, on Thursday, uh, sorry, Friday night, uh, on Christmas Eve night, uh, we will hear uh, the story about uh, the days of Caesar Augustus. That the, the kings of this world have exactly the same problem that Jesus had when he came as a king, which is, okay, I've got a kingdom. How do I expand it? How do I expand my kingdom? And we know the way that they did it. You know, we know the way Caesar and Herod expanded their kingdoms. They used force. They said, I want that place over there to be part of my kingdom. And so Caesar had 25 legions whose whole purpose was to do exactly that. If, if, you know, Parthia or, you know, the Germania or some other place, uh, looked like a good part to add to the, the, the Roman Empire, then Caesar sent his legions there and hopefully it would become part of his kingdom. That's the way Caesar did it. That's the way Herod did it. In fact, Herod was one of those tools that Caesar used. Herod's kingdom was, he ruled as a puppet king or a a client king of the Roman Empire. So he used exactly the same strategies. That's, That's the way that the kingdoms of the world work. And when they can't achieve what they want, they compromise. You know, okay, what we'll do is we'll have a truce, you know, you'll pay us uh, some some uh, tribute or something, and then we'll stop, and we won't do it again for another five years or something. So so that's the way the world works. We compromise or we use coercion. We use force to get the things we want, to expand our kingdom. That's the way that kings have always done things. 
But can Christ do that? If he has come as the king, can he expand his kingdom using those methods? You know, how do you, how do you compromise between justice and mercy and peace and injustice and cruelty and violence? Is there a compromise that you can make between the kingdom of Christ and the world? Can't compromise. Well, can you use force? Well, if you're indifferent to collateral damage, maybe you can, but, but, you know, there's, there's a danger. Frederick Nietzsche said, be careful staring into the abyss because the abyss stares back at you. You can become the thing that you oppose. Is it possible to use the methods of the world to overcome the world? That's the problem that Jesus has when he comes to establish and expand this kingdom. So how does he solve this problem? How does Jesus do what God promised he would do? How can he expand this kingdom that God promised would solve our problems? How does he do that? How does he expand the kingdom? Well, Paul tells us in the reading we've got today, Paul gives us the answer to that. And uh, he. this is from the letter to the Ephesians, and it begins like all the letters that did in those days. It says, you know, the usual stuff from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the holy and faithful people in Christ Jesus in Ephesus. That's kind of standard to and from. And then he has a greeting. You know, this is the hello, you know, how are you? He says, uh, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the way he begins his letter. And then, then there's verses 13 through 14. 12 verses. And if if it kind of rolled over you when you heard it before and you're kind of having trouble getting getting a hook into it so you could understand what's Paul saying here, well, good news, you're in luck. One of the commentators, I, uh, you're not alone, um, one of the commentators I read this week said that um, that this passage is impossible to uh, analyze. <laughs> that it's that it's 12 verses in in um, the way that the the Bible got got versified later on, but it's one sentence in Greek. Um, it's got four internal divisions. People suggest it might have been a poem or a, a hymn in, in the early church or something like that. They don't know, but it's got four internal divisions. But it's all one sentence. Paul just kind of it all comes tumbling out of Paul. He's so amazed with the solution that God has. How did God solve the problem of expanding the kingdom of Jesus? How did he solve that? Did he use force? Did he use did he use compromise? And Paul is so impressed with the answer that it just comes flowing out of him. One, one of the one of the things I read, uh, one of the writers said that it is a a golden chain of links, and somebody else called it a kaleidoscope of shifting colors and dazzling light. So it's this idea. Paul is just overflowing. He's bubbling. He's he's hard to track because he's just kind of spilling this all out, this wonder that he has at what God has done. So he begins by saying, Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. And um, he goes on in the next, uh, uh, as he continues, he says, uh, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence. Before the creation of the world, God destined us to be his adopted children because of Jesus Christ, um, uh, through, through Jesus Christ, because of his love. 
I'm trying to find, I wish that there were more breaks. I'm, my Bible just has it all flowing together. So, um, so, uh, uh, and, um, this was, okay. This was according to his goodwill and plan and to honor his gl- glorious grace that he has given us freely through the son whom he loves. So a whole lot to chew on right there. And it's not even the whole sentence, right? This is just uh, about a third of the sentence. So, so he's given us a whole lot to chew on there. But, but did you notice it's all in the past tense? God did this. He chose us. He, he destined us. God, he uses the past tense. He's talking about these are things that God has already done. God has already done these things. This is not based on anything that, that we've done. In fact, Paul says that this was, this, this plan that, that the things that God has done for us is part of the plan that God has been working out since the creation of the world. That before, before we could, uh, 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 worm our way into God's good graces, we were already there. In fact, before we could do the things that might offend God, we were already in God's good graces. That this has been part of God's plan all along. So it's not dependent on anything we do. This is something that God is doing. But it's not just like Caesar and Herod, you know, the kings of the world who have their plans and they don't really care whether you like it or not because Paul says this is done out of love. This is not just, we are not simply pawns on a chessboard that, you know, God is going to maneuver around to achieve his purposes, that God has done it for our benefit, that this is done um, uh, for his, out of his love for us um, and his love for the Son. So he says, he says, that's what God has done, but, but it's done for love. And that's already different from the way the kings of the world work. But then he says the, in here, he says the most amazing thing. He says, he says, God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. That is the thing that Herod and Caesar never did. You know, if I want to conquer Germania, if I want to spread my control throughout Parthia, I don't say, here's my strategy. I'm going to adopt all the Parthians into the royal family. No king of the earth ever did that. They never said, I want to conquer that land by making them my children. But that's what God does. God adopted his opponents, his adversaries, the people outside the border, people who are on the other side of the frontier. God adopts them as his children, right into the royal family, brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the amazing thing that God has done. So, number two, Christ's kingdom expands through adoption. Not through force, not through conquest, and not through compromise, but through adoption. God invites us into his family. Paul goes on, To say, he says, we have been ransomed through his son's blood and we have forgiveness for our failures based on the overflowing grace which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. He ransomed us. Back in the first century, this was standard, right? You, you are, you are, uh, cut off. You're, you're a soldier. You're working for Caesar. You're, you're trying to conquer Germania or Hispania or someplace like that. You're trying to conquer some, some place to extend the reach of the empire there. And you get cut off, and now you're a prisoner. Well, what they would do is they would ransom you back. It was, it was, um, uh, just the way that the, the world operated then. They didn't, they didn't do a prisoner exchange without also some money exchange. So he says, he's ransomed us back. 
He says, for whatever reason, you are on the wrong side of the border. You're on the wrong side of the frontier of my kingdom. But that's okay. No questions asked. I ransom you back. I will pay what it costs to get you back inside my kingdom. And he says, and I will, um, and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace. He doesn't say, so what were you doing over there? You know, why were you on the other side of the king? Did you get cut off? Or did you like try to sneak through because you thought maybe, you know, maybe the, the odds are better on that side? He says, I don't even care, right? Whether it was a mistake, you know, bad tactics on your, on your part, or whether, whether, you know, everybody dragged you there, it doesn't really matter why you wound up there. There's forgiveness for whatever failures might have gotten you on the wrong side of my kingdom. And now you've been brought back in. We have been ransomed and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace, which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. So why did he do this? What What is the purpose? Why is God doing all these things? Well, he says, God, God has revealed the why. God has revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his goodwill and the plan that he intended to accomplish through his son. Okay, we have the answer. What is it? This is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things of earth. He says, this is God's purpose. God is extending his kingdom from heaven to the earth and will not stop until all of the earth has been united with the kingdom of heaven. This is God's purpose. This is what God has been doing all along. God is reuniting heaven and earth. So he goes on. We have also received an inheritance in Christ. We were destined by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. He says, we have been adopted. Stop and think what that means. We've been adopted. We are now part of the royal family. We have an inheritance. We have a role in this kingdom. You know, we're going to be made, you know, dukes or counts or whatever happens with, you know, the minor royalty. You know, it's like, you know, this is, this is an incredible deal. Why? We are called to be an honor to God's glory because we were the first to hope in Christ. He says, God's, God's strategy, because God wants to adopt everyone into the royal family, God wants them to look at the people who are already in his kingdom and say, man, what a great deal they got. You know, they defected the same time I did, the little jerks, and now they're being made counts. <laughs> you know, what's the deal with that? God wants us to be a, a, um, uh, to give praise to his glory. God wants people to look at us, look at our situation and say, what a sweet deal they got. He says, you too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news in your salvation, of your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. Now, uh, if, if, if we had time to analyze this, you know, phrase by phrase, we might go back and say, well, wait a minute. You too? Up till now it's been we. Who, who are the you and who are the we? But it really doesn't matter, you know, and, and there's all kinds of theories. Is he talking about Israel? Is he talking about, um, the first disciples of Jesus? Is he talking about, um, uh, uh, people from the, the Holy Land versus people in Ephesus? It doesn't matter because he says, you too, right? So whoever, whoever the we is, it, it includes 
the the you too now because he's saying you get the same deal. He says you too have the uh, uh, the the same offer. You have the, the the same strategy because God is extending His kingdom to you. You have the adoption. You have the the ransom. You have the forgiveness. You have the inheritance. Because because God isn't saying you know I've picked out some select people that I really like, and I'm offering them a sweet deal. God's purpose is to unite heaven with all of the earth. And he says, the Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. Paul says, this is already underway. It's already taking place, but it's not done yet because obviously I have not brought the entire world into my kingdom. But that's going to happen. But in the meantime, here's a pledge. Here's uh, the the language here is is unfortunate. Uh, our translation, um, you know, the good news is they broke down one sentence into you know whatever this is, twenty, so so we can read it in English. But the bad news is sometimes the the language isn't as good. Um, a different translation I saw said that it is a pledge. It's a token. It's something you know. Come back later and hand this in. You know, you get. You know, this is your receipt. You get. You get the thing that was promised. But my favorite is in in modern Greek. The, Paul wrote this letter in Greek. But if you go to Greece today, the same word means engagement ring. That it's this promise, not not a financial transaction. Someday I'll repay you. But I love you, and and we are going to be united, heaven with earth. And here is, here's a token. Here's, here's the engagement ring. Because God chooses people he loves. God is adopting into his kingdom people he loves. Some of you may have seen this week, uh, Time Magazine announced its, uh, its man of the year. Does anyone know who the man of the year is this year? Anyone see that? Elon Musk? Okay, Elon Musk. So Elon Musk, um, uh, famous Asperger's person, um, uh, uh, and uh, the, the founder of so many different businesses, uh, he, he founded um, PayPal. He co-founded PayPal. Um, he, uh, he, um, he did Tesla, uh, the, the electric vehicles uh, company. He did Starlink. Maybe you saw just uh, Star, um, SpaceX. Maybe you saw just yesterday they launched uh, another rocket with some 40-odd satellites or something in it for Starlink. Starlink's another one of his businesses. They've got the Boring Company building the tunnels under under big cities. They've got um, uh, Neuralink. I forget all the different. But they, they were kind of impressed with him. Um, and because of these businesses, because he's got um, uh, ownership in so many um, important businesses, uh, they, they didn't say what his income is. They didn't say how much he brings home. But they said he is the richest private individual in the world. Um, and, you know, I, I imagine there might be, you know, heads of government someplace that have more, but but um, he made all of his through these businesses that he created. And I'd like to encourage you with this thought, okay? Just, just close your eyes for a moment and say, imagine, you know, answer this question. Imagine Elon Musk adopted you into his family. Grins. All right. Some of you are good at imagining this. Okay. That's the point, right? What would your allowance be? And when you spin it, would the people around you say, 
what a great deal that guy got. What a great deal she got. I wish I could get that same deal. I wish I could be adopted by Elon Musk. I wish I could have that allowance. I wish I got a new Tesla every year, whatever, you know, a tunnel under my house, whatever. He says, I wish I could have those things. God is much bigger and much better than Elon Musk. And he has blessed us with all all the spiritual blessings in heaven. Connection lost. And God wants us to live like royalty. This is what Christmas is about. It's not about uh, uh, bringing a kingdom by force or cooperating with the corruption of the earth, but to adopt each of us one after another, into the family of the children of God, into the royal family of the kingdom of his son Jesus. And he has given us his Holy Spirit as an inheritance pledge. And all he wants is for people to look at us and say, wow, what a sweet deal. I wish I could have that deal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, first, for just intervening in the world, for looking at us in all of our trouble, the the, the world that so often looks like winter without any Christmas, and giving us Christmas, giving us a king, but not a king who comes with swords and violence, not a king who is as corrupt as the rest of the world. But a king who establishes justice and mercy and peace through adoption. Adoption into your family. Lord, we pray that we would live lives as members of your royal family so that others may give glory to the honor of your name. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as you are able and join.